Hello everybody, it is Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. So the other day I was listening to one of my favorite shows and the guest on the show stated that the problems that we currently are facing in American society stem from our failure to understand Genesis 1 through 11. And so as he talked and I started to think about it, I'm like, wow, he is right. Now, we would say that our problems genuinely stem from rebellion against God. And that is 100% accurate on, on the macro level, right? Our problems all are a result of rebellion against God. But on a more micro level, when we think of specifically to the United States and the Western world, because Ken Ham is from Australia, um, he was saying that our failure to understand Genesis 1 through 11 is why we're facing the current issues we have and are specific to our society. And, and it makes sense because these passages deal with the foundation of our universe and humanity as a whole and the reason for our current condition. When you attempt to divorce something from its history, you necessarily beget confusion. And that's what we're going to talk about. I'm Christina Caramo, and now it's time for some solid food. Welcome to A Solid Food, where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So as I was saying, that in America and throughout the rest of the world, the most mocked passages of scripture are Genesis 1 through 11. And even by a lot of Christians, they are treated as allegory instead of history. As I said before, Whenever you divorce something from its source, it gets corrupted and you get confusion. Even humanity, the reason why we're in this fallen state, because we are separated from God, the source of everything. He is the originator. He is the one who created everything ex nihilo. So when we were separated from God, necessarily you had sin and confusion and death and blah, blah, blah. So that pattern is reflected throughout the entirety of humanity. Whenever you are separated from your history, from the source, from the originator of who you are and what you are, then you're going to have confusion and problems because that source gives you the information. I mean, there's so many, so many, um, so many situations or examples I could use, but I feel that you guys get the point. And so again, as I pointed out, there's a lot of Christians who see Genesis 1 through 11 as just allegory and not history. And so when we don't see Genesis 1 through 11 as literal history, it skews our foundation of, of understanding God, of ourselves, and our current condition. So you may be asking, how is that so? And I really kind of explained that. Our origins are explained, our origins explain our condition. If you tell me about something that happened, let's say I tell you a story about the time when I was 13 years old and I ripped out my fingernail and my entire fingernail bed, right? Your next question would be, well, how did that happen? How did you rip out your fingernail and your entire fingernail bed? And let's say I said to you, well, um, these kids like beat me up. 
Uh, I was walking home from school, a group of kids beat me up, and then one kid began stomping on my hand. Now, one of the reasons why you ask why is to provide context, because with that context, it helps you process the information, right? It helps you process because you don't know how to process the information. I told you I my fingernails ripped out of my hand along with my nail bed. So when you hear the information, you're not sure how to really process it until you get some context of why and how it happened. So if I tell you that I was beat up and the group of kids jumped me and someone just started stomping on my hand incessantly, and that's how it happened, you're going to feel some kind of way. How did you process me telling you that? You processed it like, wow, that's horrible. It makes you think about all these things about how evil people are, how evil kids are. Or let's say I told you that I tripped and it was a totally freak accident. I tripped on an uneven sidewalk. Then you will process that information. You might laugh like, whoa, that's nuts. That's crazy. Like, you know, you will process it completely differently because one is me being abused by other people and the other one is me simply just a freak accident. And which is true is the latter. It was completely a freak accident. When I was 13 years old, I was walking to school and I just not paying attention, tripped on an uneven sidewalk. And I just got up and like, oh, I kind of heard it. And I dust myself up and just kept walking to school like, da, 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 da. and as I got close to the building, I felt like cold liquid, like flowing down my hand. And I looked and I started screaming because it looked so gross and it looked almost fake because my fingernail was literally like sitting on top of my hand and like this brown thing, which was the nail bed. And I didn't know my nail bed was like, was just sitting there. And I was screaming and I was crying and I was, and I ran to the door and my friends were outside. I'm like, look at my hand, look at my hand, look at my hand. And they're like, they thought they were like, Christina, you're so silly because it looked fake. And because they had never seen anything like that. I'm like, no, it's real. And I went to the office. They're like, oh. Oh my God, you know. So again, you process that story totally different as a kind of a a story of a lighthearted childhood injury gone bad versus me telling you the story of abuse. So you process the concept of me getting my fingernail ripped out totally different based on how it all went down. So that helps you understand. So let's add that to, let's say, human evil. How do we process evil? We all know that evil exists, right? And we all have experienced some type of pain. Now, let's take it if you hold to the evolutionist view. It complicates how and why we have a sinful nature and why evil exists. It gives us this kind of deist view. So deism is it's a, it's a theistic belief, but it's this belief that God made everything and just kind of walked away. And he doesn't have anything to do with the affairs of man and the affairs of the universe. He just made it all, just walked away. That's deism. So it's this really hands-off approach. Excuse me. I apologize if that my burp made it on camera. Sorry. <laughs> um, however, so if one subscribes to Genesis the one through three, it puts the blame for evil on the lap of human beings. So if evolution is true and God just kind of fashioned us to kind of just grow and go wherever, just okay, this is just how it's going to all play out, then it kind of makes, not kind of makes, makes God the author, the author of evil. So then it gives us credence to blame him because it's like you made us in this kind of um, deformed manner because evil and sinfulness is a, is a type of deformity. So it's like you made us in this deformed manner. However, if you subscribe to Genesis 1 through 3, it puts the blame of evil on the lap of humans. And therefore, whatever consequences we face, it is totally justified. 
And it also reveals that God created everything perfect. Because evolution depends on mutations. It does. It, re- it, de- it depends on mutations. And just a quick side note, we've never in nature observed positive mutations. All mutations, okay? When I say mutations, I'm sure somebody could pin me down on the definition of mutations and, and say, well, that's how we have biological diversity, not uh, different species. I mean, within the same species, like hair color, eye color, whatever. Um so let me not hang my hat on that on the definition of, the definition of mutations in that context, but in the context I mean like a mutation where we see something at an abnormality, something changing outside of the species design. So say for example, if a person has six fingers, that's outside of the species design. Well, evolution necessitates that you there's a change outside of the species design, and we've never observed that being beneficial in any manner. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, so as I said before, if you subscribe to Genesis one through three, it's that God created this perfect world and gave humans the option to follow him or to follow ourselves. And that's really important. He gave us the option. Now, you can listen to me or, or not. That's up to you. So that, that drastically impacts how we grapple with the reality of evil. And then one of the main complaints people have about believing in God is the reality of evil and suffering because people always enter the premise that well if god exists why is there evil and suffering because they always they try to make god a human and say well you know since i if my child didn't listen to me i wouldn't do blah 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 blah. so then why is god doing it well first of all let's just get something out of the way someone and i say this all the time and you're going to hear me say it again just because someone isn't functioning as you think they should, that does not, that's not solid evidence that they don't exist. Let's just say that first and foremost, okay? Now, God's ways are higher than yours, all right? So when we look at the reality of, of him giving human beings free will and us choosing to reject him by following our own leadership, it is our fault that we have evil in the world. Now we can get into that. It's a whole nother conversation about, you know, how do human beings inherit evil? And we, we can get to a whole nother thing. But I, I, let me move on and just stay on this topic. So if, again, if we see the passages of Genesis 3 as history, as literal history and not allegory, we realize that we have no one to blame but ourselves for our, for our current uh, predicament that we are in, okay? So let's quickly walk through these passages to see how the major issues that we face in America, and again, I'm, I'm talking about America, and I think that's really important. When we deal with, like, evil is a universal human problem. Pain is a universal human problem. The desire for lust, love, the desire for lust, the desire for food, the desire for family, the desire for all types of things in, 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 a, in a macro sense, in a large sense, um, are universal human problems, issues, the violence, anger, blah, 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 right? Um, however, I'm dealing with specifically in America and the West because that's where I live. I live in America. So um, the issues that we see are in America flourish because of our failure to advocate for these passages as literal history. So let's start with Genesis 1.1. And 1.1 deals with the creation of the universe. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, that may seem to you like, okay, whatever. Well, folks, things can get really interesting. Now, I talked about this in the episode I did last week titled, um, I love, titled I Love Jesus, the name of the episode. And it was basically an apologetic. And I went through over some major apologetic topics. And one of the things when you get into like scientific apologetics or intelligent design, one of the early beliefs in modern times was, it, was that the universe was a closed system, that the universe was a closed eternal system. So if scientists who are basically like the high priests in our society um, who subscribe to what we call scientism, right, that science is the arbiter of truth and that's the way we can understand reality, if they say, well, the universe always existed and it is a closed system, well, then Genesis 1, 1 comes into question. Because once we start saying, well, this stuff isn't literally true, just allegory, blah, 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 then it begins to chip away at the entirety of the Bible. And it says, well, okay, well, if this is allegory, what else isn't literal history? Is the, is the is Jesus Christ? Is that just a man that was, we, we called him God that was allegory? Was the death on the cross, the resurrection? I mean, we can really take this far. And so that creates a lot of problems. But then if we can't even establish that God made the universe, as he said in Genesis 1, 1 then it, it creates a, a distrust issue, an issue of mistrust, shall I say. Well, one of the interesting things when the, the Big Bang Theory came about, um, it was a lot of consternation on behalf of these scientists because they didn't want to acknowledge that there was the beginning. Why? Because if they acknowledged the Big Bang, then they would need to acknowledge what we call a Big Banger, right? Someone had to make it go bang because it didn't always exist. And so when we learn, and, and it's funny because they didn't want to admit it. I, I, I'm trying to think of the book I was reading. Oh my God, I don't have a handy. And actually a fellow, I, I participated in Discovery Institute. Um, they have their um, science and culture uh, seminars every summer and I'm an alumni of the program and another alumni made a book and I was reading it. At any rate, I'm not going to get off into that. But um, so ne nevertheless, a lot of scientists, they did not want to acknowledge that the universe had a beginning because then that means that someone pre-existed the universe and caused it to come into being. Okay, so that was really, really important. And so once we acknowledge the existence of a designer, then that means that somebody made us and someone has expectations of us. Like even if I make cookies, if I make a pan of cookies, I have expectations of those cookies. I expect for them to be delicious. I expect for them to taste precisely how I intended them to taste. Now, if I make some cookies and they taste very salty, I am disappointed because that is not what I created them to taste like. I created them to satisfy my sweet tooth. So, and so we can take that from, and I try to use like simple examples to help us understand, but if we think about like in context of God, since God exists and he made us, then necessarily he has, he's going to put stipulations on our behavior and he's going to expect something from us, just like I expect the cookie to taste a certain way. So this is really important. And one of the things about naturalism is it really lacks explanatory scope and power. Because it just explains the mechanics. And that's the problem with the naturalists. They just say, well, we know if we do this formula, this is why the moon does this. And so there's no God behind it. But like, wait a minute, you're just explaining the mechanics. Just like if I take a computer and I explain the mechanics of how I'm able to type words and I explain computer code, 
That doesn't mean that somebody wasn't a programmer. Somebody still developed the code. I'm just explaining how it works. Or my computer or my refrigerator. The refrigerator is keeping the food nice and cold. Does that mean someone didn't make it? No, I can explain to you the mechanics of, of how it works. That doesn't negate that somebody made it. I mean, it's just not rational. People are really trying hard to, to come up with these ridiculous uh, conclusions as to why God doesn't exist when the matter really is if they simply do not want to submit to God. And I, I'm going to get the book because I, I tell you guys things and I want you guys to read these books yourselves because I would believe going to a primary source and not just listening to somebody else. There's like this book I have, we had to read for class, and it was a, a Christian scientist who gave like a talk or a lecture, and at the end of it, he was about intelligent design, and at the end of this, the other scientists, many of the other ones who have been evolutionists, conceded that he made some really good points and some, gave them some things to question about, to question, and when asked, like, why were they so resistant to the existence of God, and the three reasons were, um, one, the existence of evil, which I kind of touched on briefly, which I'll revisit again, number two, that they want to be sexually immoral. The people, and, and it's not just the sexual immorality. It, that's a lot of it, but it's just, I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want anyone telling me what I can and can't do. And so and the third point was church hurt, which I won't get into this episode, but church hurt is a real problem. But, and, and I talked to someone who had experienced church hurt and I said, listen, that has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Now, another thing I found really interesting, if you read Genesis 1 and you read the creation story, you always notice that it said, and God saw that it was good after each day. Creation was perfect. So and I think that's really important because one of the issues we talk about is natural evil, natural evil. So since God created the earth perfect, now we're not saying that um, earthquakes, I don't, I would argue that we wouldn't even need earthquakes. We wouldn't need hurricanes because a lot of these things have a, a benefit. Like the thing like with volcanoes, if you know volcanic, volcanic soil is extremely rich in nutrients. So if like foods that is grown in this soil is extremely like nutrient delicious. And the same with like with earthquakes from what I understand it like brings new topsoil up or something like that, you know? So with a perfect world, these types of things wouldn't be necessary because when sin entered the world, the earth began to naturally begin to degradate. And even in scripture, uh, I forget where in the New Testament, it's written that the earth is groaning. Um, <clears throat> so with that being said, with, with that being said, um, with the, everything being perfect, God created everything perfect. So that lets us know that the imperfection and the problem we see is a result of human sinfulness, not God's design. And so a lot of people, they'll say, well, if God made everything, why is it like this? Well, the Bible is telling you why. But again, if you don't take Genesis 1 through 11 as literal history, you're always going to be like, well, why did God do this? And why? It's telling you why. It's like the way it is. God made everything perfect. He made everything perfect. He made us perfect. I mean, and we'll get to in a minute, but like the early people, they lived 900 years. They had kids at 500 years old. Like, no, Noah had him, Sham, and Japheth at 500. You know, people nowadays, most of them don't live past 85. So, you know... Anyway, let's let's keep moving on because I'm, I'm the clock is being disrespectful. Genesis 1 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move around along the ground. Now, here is really important. Um, with Genesis 1 two, through 6. And, and I'm going to reference again in Genesis where God mentions after uh, 
after the flood, when he mentions again that human beings are made in my image, and it's like a rebuke against murder. The thing about it is, is one of the problems we deal with in America was slavery. And we can look to scripture because the abolitionists were pastors. Most of these abolitionists were armed Christian ministers. And they appealed to the concept of human beings being made in the likeness and image of God. And so since human beings are made in the likeness and image of God, inherently that gives all humans inherent value. So therefore, I don't have a right to own people. We look at eugenics. Oftentimes people just discuss eugenics in the context of the Margaret Sanger being a racist, but she did not just target black people. It was for her. It wasn't so much. And, and I know people are going to say, well, you're letting her off the hook. And I'm not, I just try to be very objective. It wasn't so much that I just hate these filthy N words that she felt that black people were just genetically inferior. And so because of an evolutionary view that necessarily included poor people, which would have included poor Asian people, poor white people, poor Hispanic people. So any people where you saw high poverty and higher crime, where well, we understand that social issues, um, it dictate that. It's like there's social inequalities in society and social problems and breakdown of the social fabric that cause poverty and, and other issues. In her estimation, it was not. It was genetic. So if a man went and raped somebody, it's because he had a rapist gene. If a woman was poor or maybe a little struggle, struggle to understand things, it was because she had a defective gene. So eugenics didn't just target people based on ethnicity. They also targeted poor people. Um, also, eugenics targeted disabled people. So um it, 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 but when you have, when, when you see all human beings made and like it's the image of God, if I see a person who has, let's say, who has cerebral palsy and they are um, bound to a wheelchair and they really can't do a lot um, physically, I do not denote anything about their value and worth because you have to understand, especially in, in, in what you call like, a, uh, I said, agrarian or agrarian or, or Bedouin societies. I mean, they live off the land and they were very mobile. So physical labor was critical in our society. If a person is like wheelchair bound, it's still a lot they can do because we live in a digital society. But in those societies, it really limited their, their capacity to contribute because everything was physical. So, so with that being said, in many of these societies, they would kill these people. You know, if you're born deformed or handicapped, some cultures are like, you curse, and they'll kill you. So, so we need to remember that. Another issue is abortion. So human beings have inherent value. Uh, being a fetus does not denote value. It just refers to stage of development. So, so the, the child is still a human being made in the image of God. They just happen to be in utero. So here are tons of issues. And another one that I noticed that God did not intend for people to rule over other people. We were to rule over the planet, the fish and the animals and the wild stock. That's the, where we were to have dominion. We were not to have dominion over other people because we were to get our orders from God. Um, and, I, and I reference often in Thomas Paine's book, Common Sense, when he said government like dress is a badge of lost innocence because it's like if human beings are perfect, you don't need government. You don't need any type of government because the whole purpose of government is for human beings to rule over other human beings, to keep their behavior under control, to have a peaceful and prosperous society. Well, when people um, are able to control themselves, they have tons of freedom. So there was no need for human beings 
to rule over other people. And to this day, it still isn't if we would listen to God. Again, it's the if we listen to God. Just American society, the whole premise of America is for a moral people. So if you got people who are out of control, like I have told someone recently, um, the only reason why we started having conversations about gun laws was after Columbine. That's when it hits a national pitch. But, but again, we saw what happened with a lot of people from Columbine. They were really into some kind of some satanic worldview. So I'm going to move on, but you get the point. You get the point. Um, we see from verse 27... In Genesis 1, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So again, God making men and women in his image. That goes against the whole issue of transgenderism. There is not multiple genders. No, there's only man and woman. God did not intend for people to be transgender or he did not intend for people to have sex with people of the same sex. Because if we read in verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish to see the birds, the sky, and every other living thing that moves on the ground. So God commanded it to be man and woman to get together and be fruitful and multiply. So when God designed something for a very particular way, and we're talking about humanity who God made in his image, right? He did not intend for me to go over and cut off my breast and get a fake penis sewed on. That is not okay. And so, again, our failure to acknowledge God's created order, when we talk about human sexuality, it's about God's created order. It's not about anything else. It's not about whether my neighbor is nice, whether your kid is nice, whether your neighbor is nice, your sibling is nice, you care for them, they're decent people. That is totally irrelevant. It has nothing to do with liking or disliking people. It simply is acknowledging God's created order. And since God created human beings to function in a certain way, just because I feel like or someone I like and love does something that doesn't have anything to do with the commands of scripture. And that's something we really need to move beyond. But again, our failure to understand Genesis 1 through 11 is why we're even having this conversation in the first place. It's settled. God spoke. So why are we still talking? Anyways, Genesis twenty nine thirty one. the earth is to be self-sustaining. And I found it to be very interesting that the earth, if you read that everything was to be self-sustaining. So we see that it, scripture explains how we have our, like our ecosystems and how everything works so good together. So that's something we see. Everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. And so when we move on, I want to move on to Genesis uh, 2 and I want to skip down, um, I want to skip down to uh, the passage where it talks about like the creation of Eve. Now, it, the scripture talks about how God made um, Adam and when he formed man, he formed man and he, and he breathed life into his nostrils. Now, I found that to be so important because it acknowledges the material and immaterial portions of humans. Humans, as we know, are material, but we're immaterial as well. In the naturalist perspective, human beings are just pure material. And one of the problems with the materialist view is it supports, it necessarily leads us to things like eugenics. It necessarily leads us to things supporting murder. Because if, if again, if everything is material, if my beliefs, my traits, and everything is about me is material, then that, and, and we inherit that from our parents, that's where we get our genetic material from, then if I am a career criminal, then the best thing we'll do would be to kill me and my children because we clearly carry a criminal gene. But if we acknowledge that 
immaterial component of man, we acknowledge our capacity for free will. So therefore, the good and the bad that I do is a reflection of me and not my family or my progeny. That's it. That's it. So that that's that's really, really important for us to understand that there is a material and immaterial portion to man. We also see that man, that we see the dominion that man had on earth and, and Genesis 8. Um, and we also see that when it gets to the creation of Eve, and I find this to be really, really important. One of the things when created, when God created Eve, you notice that when he said that man needed a help mate. And, and I, and I think that's, that's really important and that women are to be a help. We're supposed to be like co-region, you know, you hear region and co-region. And then too, I thought it was important. Scripture talked about how he put man into a deep sleep and he took him from his rib. That is important. He didn't take uh, the bone from man's foot. He took it from his rib because women are to be side by side with the man that they're committed to. And, and it says the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he had taken out of the man and he brought her to man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man is to leave his father and mother and united to his wife and they become one flesh. And so that is really important. And it even says like in 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So when the scripture in here in verse 24, we know that Adam and Eve did not have earthly parents. God made them directly. And, and so that what what is being took is where uh, Moses wrote Genesis. Okay. So one of the things you have to understand is that even though God, he had was under the influence of the Holy Spirit, of course, we know, but I'm just saying that. It's not like Adam wrote Genesis, okay? So the reason why this is important, the scripture tells us that a man is to leave his father and mother and to be united with his wife as one flesh. So man and woman are to be one, they're to be equal. And so when we talk about like whether or not fornication is okay, scripture is very clear. It is not what unites man and woman isn't just the agreement. That's why we call it they consummate the marriage. It's a sexual relationship. So fornication is a problem because it does not uh, change the spiritual realities of sex just because I met somebody in a bar. That doesn't change the spiritual realities of sex because this is my boyfriend I've been with for three years. The spiritual implications, the spiritual consequences of sex are still the same. And also when we see God gave a clear design for the human family, why are we still talking about whether or not people should be in same-sex relationships? Again, God has spoken, so why are we still talking? He said what he said. He meant what he said. And scripture is clear all throughout that that is not a way that we should be behaving. So again, why are we still talking about that? So when the word of God speaks, human beings always want to think they know better. And as we get into Genesis 3, that's precisely what happened with man. God said something and the serpent came along and go, did God really say that? Why? Why are we still talking? Okay. Genesis 3. So that cuts into the fall of man. And what's really interesting is that the scripture mentions the serpent. And so it's like, was well, really the devil, the serpent? We have to remember that Satan can possess animals. How do we know that? Remember in, um, in with Jesus, um, uh, um, it was a man who was possessed by demons. <clears throat> Excuse me. And these demons, I think they call themselves legion. And so Jesus uh, cast the demons out of the man 
And they asked, could you cast us into these pigs? So we see an example in scriptures where demons can inhabit animals. I mean, it's, it's in scripture. And again, I'm a person who believes the Bible is an inerrant, infallible word of God. So yes, there were demons and pigs. Just so we're clear. And I don't eat pork. <laughs> I don't, but that's not why. <laughs> but but nevertheless, we, we see that Satan can um, possess animals. And so since Satan is the chief demon, um, if, if smaller ones can possess pigs, I'm sure that he can possess a serpent. Um, nevertheless, it's very interesting. I found that um, Satan targeted Eve and he didn't go to Adam. Um, I noticed something. I noticed something a lot. When I see those examples of like those transgender little kids, notice which parent is always pushing it. The mother. The mother. Women have influence. Men have power. Influence can dictate how power is ruled. When a man is not the head of his family and not leading his family as God commands him to, he gives an opening for Satan. That doesn't mean that Eve is without fault, but it's a reason why Satan likes to target women. I noticed that, pay attention, all these transgender kids, it's always the mother. It's always the mom pushing it like all outdoors. Just like recently with Joe Biden and him and Elizabeth Warren, it would have some stage scene with a little transgender kid. It's always the mother standing up, never the father. And every time you see out of control children, there's always a weak or absent father. And when I say weak, I don't mean um, weak as in he just sits there like a, a limp spaghetti noodle. I mean weak as he's not following along. You can be weak and he can be a total wife beater and be weak. Okay, or he could be a man who is just because our determined our uh, notion of a weak man is like a limp spaghetti noodle. When I say weak, I mean not him being submissive to God's will as his commanded man to be the head of his family. And a lot of people have an issue with that concept. You because you're caught up in the idea of the head being a domineering force. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the way God designed to be a leader. So when a man is not leading his family like he should, he opens the door because. For Satan to walk in, because as we see, Satan, Adam was right there when this whole thing played out. It's not like Eve was on the other side of the garden and she walked over to him later and just he's all unsuspecting. No, he was right there, as we see in scripture, when she ate of the fruit. They say she turned to her husband and it points out that he was right there. So um, Adam's first relationship was with God. And so Eve's first relationship was with Adam and God. So, you know, Adam had a really a responsibility and he, and he really failed at that. So one of the things that's really interesting is when the serpent talks to the woman, he says, you will not certainly die. So he began, Satan wanted Eve to first doubt what God says. And we see that happening. Before we start sinning, first the thing we do is doubt what God says. And that's what we see through our world today. The word of God, and I've said this like five times in the word, and I said this like five times in the episode of the day. God spoke, so why are we still talking? When I say that, I don't mean for us to not have further discussion to understand something, but I'm saying that because when God says something is wrong or don't do it, why do we have to sit here and try to elaborate and let's find it in the Greek to see if he really meant don't do this and don't do that? I mean, some stuff is plain as day. Now, if we want to get into... <clears throat> Uh, we want to get into, you know, predestination 
Uh, how does that work? You know, do, does God predestine who's going to be saved and who's not? Um, is it, can you lose salvation? You know, don't, to me, those are very fair questions to ask. But when we want to ask about whether or not abortion is wrong, whether or not fornication is wrong, when we want to ask whether or not homosexuality is wrong, I mean, the scripture has spoken. So the whole point and, and the reason why these issues are so important, because it is about people's salvation. And I referenced again in like 2 Corinthians 7 and in um, Galatians 5 and Romans 1. The scripture is very clear that we cannot engage in these sinful behaviors and inherit the kingdom of God. So when you have people who are walking around thinking that these behaviors are okay, this is a salvation issue. And 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 I was thinking today, and I and I criticize and and, and a lot of churches and pastors for a reason it's not because i think i'm such some super spiritual scholar it's because we have to make sure that we are doing our job no matter your role in ministry i am not a pastor i am not a preacher i am a teacher that's what i do that, that's all I, do. I just teach you know i teach in a secular setting i got i have to teach class in a little while today okay i teach that's what i do all right for pastors and anybody with any any kind of ministerial role whether you you head the children's church or you're a Christian counselor, all of these things, your number one job, your number one job is to help keep people out of hell. That's your job. If you're not focused on keeping people out of hell, if that isn't the, 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 the number one thing that dictates what, I mean, of course, the Holy Spirit is to dictate your words above all else. But I'm saying is that the concept of helping to keep people out of hell, if that does not, if that isn't the fire behind what makes you want to go into ministry, I don't want to say not go, but to, to, to answer the ministerial calling that God's placed on your heart, if that isn't the fire behind everything you do, then you aren't doing anything. You are in the way because that is our primary goal. So when you have people who think that it's permissible to engage in simple behavior, Folks, that is a problem. That That's people's souls on the line. And there's nothing more important. So this isn't about judgmental or thinking you're holy because I am not. I am a, a sinner and, and, and fallen just like everybody else. None of us are better. But the thing about it is when you acknowledge that and you give your heart to Jesus Christ and you submit to the Holy Spirit's regeneration of you, then... <clears throat> Then the Holy Spirit begins to clean you up and you begin to walk away from that sin. But when you have people thinking that this is okay, you are participating in what Satan is doing and you're helping them to doubt the word of God. And that is exactly the problem. Humans want to doubt the word of God because they want to be God. When we submit to God, we submit to what he says and tells us to do and not to do. When humans want to be God, we want to be the ones who make those decisions. That is grossly inappropriate. And so, anyway, um, as I pointed out about the kids, like in Genesis 6, it points out that she turned and gave it to Adam. And it says in Genesis 6, the second half, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So the scripture made a point to, to acknowledge that Adam was right there when this whole thing went down. Okay, now, as we see their eyes are open, they realize they were naked, and the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called out and said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, 
And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? What have you eaten? From, have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat? And one of the things we need to remember is that God knows the answer to these questions. He's not answering these, asking Adam and Eve these questions for his benefit. He is convicting them. He's judging them. That's what's going on. He's pronouncing judgment over them. So it's not like he asking questions like, I don't know what's going on. God always knows what's going on. Is he condemning them? Is he's pronouncing judgment over them? And then notice how Adam began to blame Eve. It's like this woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit and I ate it. And it's like, that's humans all the way. God gave Adam the rule. He gave Adam the rule and he told his the head of the house, he is telling to Eve. And so people have a habit of not taking responsibility for their behavior. We see it all the time. This is the first scapegoat attempt. Look at him trying to blame Eve. Yeah, she was wrong, but he was too. Because he was right there with him. And God gave him the commandment. And he gives them both the commandment. Excuse me. He, Adam is the head of the family, but he gave the commandment to the both of them. And so then notice that, it, that Eve turns around and blames Satan. Say, well, the serpent deceived me. You know, we see people doing this all the time. The devil didn't make you do it. You did it. Now, Satan tempts you. Demons tempt you. But ultimately, you did it. The devil didn't make you do it. You chose to do it. Look at her trying to blame the devil. Look at her. Look at her. Anyway, yeah, the Satan is wrong, but she ultimately made a choice to, to serve him, to follow him, instead of following God. And I also find it interesting that in verses 15, 14 through 15, we see God telling Satan that he will be crushed by a woman's offspring. Now, this is interesting. The reason why this is interesting of, of God telling Satan that he will be crushed by a woman's offspring, because if you read scripture, genealogy is recorded through the father and not the mother, except for the case of Christ. Because Christ, what I'm saying his genealogy was traced. I think the only women that were mentioned were like Rahab and and uh, uh, Boaz and Naomi. I think Naomi was maybe the only one, but Rahab was mentioned. Um, the reason why this is important because the seed necessarily is is passed through the man, and so genealogy is except for in a few instances is tracked through the father. But as we know with Jesus Christ, he did not have an earthly father. Okay, he did not have an earthly father. So that I found to be very, very interesting. And he goes on in um in, in chapter six in verses sixteen that women will have um painful childbirth and male domination. So that was when the first hierarchy was born. Now the, the perfect hierarchy is God and human. That was the perfect hierarchy with God and human. Um but this hierarchy was different because even though when in the perfect world, God had um, made, you know, man and woman and they were to be like regent and co-regent type of thing. But with a sinful world, the whole game changed. The whole, the whole, it flipped the script and what God had initially designed. Now women, men and women have a sinful nature. So things have to be structured differently. So that's when a hierarchy was born. Because of the sinful nature. And then men had to work hard until death. Okay? And so um, also what was interesting, in verse 21, we see the first animal sacrifice. 
So it's, it's to me, it kind of foreshadowed the sacrifice of Christ in the sense that they were, that animal was sacrificed for them to have a covering. Okay. I've, I've never heard any Bible commentary say that, but this is something that kind of came into my head because again, they were clothed with animal skin. So an animal had to die for them to have covering. Prior to the fall, notice how the scripture pointed out, and we see twice that they were naked and they didn't know it. After the fall is when they realized their nakedness. So an animal had to die for them to have covering. Before they were covered with the glory of God, I, I don't know. I don't recall. I've heard it taught, and I don't want to ever give bad information. I don't, of course, I'm going to say things that are wrong or sometimes because I'm human. I'm not. I'm never going to perfectly understand scripture. That's that's for only for God, but I'm just saying. That was something that I found interesting. And then they were banished from the garden. So moving on to Genesis 4, and I'm going to pick it up from here because Genesis 1 through 3 is where I spent most of the time, but now I'm going to speed up. Um, with Genesis 4, which I found to be very interesting, it deals with Cain and Abel. Now, uh, the thing that I found very interesting is that Cain and Abel were to both bring a an offering. And it points out that when Abel brought his offering to God, it was the fat portions. It was like the end from the firstborn of his flock. And as you go through scripture, you see that God says the firstborn of your flock belongs to me. So he brought God his best. Cain just brought whatever. It didn't really say why it was bad, but it wasn't what God asked for. Because as we see in scripture, the Lord said in verse 6, why are you angry? Because he came was upset because God liked Abel's sacrifice better than his. He said, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So God is telling us that if we do what he asks, he will be pleased with us. He will accept what we do if we do what we what he asks. But if you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. So it wasn't necessarily that Cain had... um engaged engaged in active sin he engaged in in rebellion by omission so god says go and do this so a lot of the commandments are don't do this don't do that don't do this don't do that it's like the don't do well this one was a positive i want you to give me your best and he gave god his second best okay and his anger was crouching at his door if it desires to have you but must you must rule over it. So it says if in verse 7, if you do what is right, you will you not be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So God is telling Cain in this situation, he wasn't condemned, but he didn't get the response he wanted from God. And he said, you know, don't be angry. Do what you're told. You want to do what I tell you because sin is hanging around to take you over. But you got to rule over it. You, you, have, you can do it. Okay, because God was there with Cain, but he didn't want to do that. Instead, he was angry and he went to go murder his brother. And so we see um, one of the things I found very interesting is that after Cain killed Abel, he asked him, where is your brother Abel? Again, God was not asking for his benefit. He knew the answer to the question. He was just pronouncing judgment on Cain. But what I found really interesting is that after God pronounced Judgment on Cain. He showed mercy on Cain. And because Cain said in verse 13, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are deriving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. And I'll be, restless, be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. 
Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And so the Lord put a mark on Cain to let people know to not bother him. And so the thing about it is even after God pronounced judgment, he provided mercy on Cain. Now, I think this is really important to say. Many people, um, many people like to say that, oh, well, who were the other people? Huh? Well, Adam and Eve had lots of other children. Just because the scripture is, see, the point of the Bible is to, is the, 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 that these people say the Old Testament is like building up to the new. It's, it's like foreshadowing what God's redemptive plan. The entire Bible is about God's redemptive plan for mankind. It is. It's about his, his plan. He's letting us know how we got here and what his plan is to get us out of the predicament we're in. Um, and so it is not necessary for the scriptures to record every single every single iota of children and their life in scripture. Genesis is Genesis is contains history, but it's not an exhaust of history. It's not everything that happened. It's historically accurate, but it's not everything that happened. Okay. So um moving right along. So we're going to the rest of it is genealogy. Then we're going to jump on to chapter five. Now, chapter five, again, is genealogy of Adam's line, uh, of Adam's descendants. And it's all relevant to the time of Christ. Because if you get to like Matthew, it goes through all this genealogy. Genealogy is important. Um, but what I find really interesting is like Noah didn't have him, Shem, and Japheth. So he was 500 years old. So that's what we're going to pick up. Now, it doesn't mean that Noah didn't have other children. It's just that the, the rest of humanity post-flood came from the lines of him, Shem, and Japheth. Okay? So moving on to chapter six. Oh, I got to speed up. Um, really quick, I want to kind of debunk this Sethite view. Genesis six can be super duper complicated. It can be super complicated because it's like, who are these sons of God? And a lot of people say, oh, well, those were um, Seth. Seth's sons were mingling. It's like, no, no, it, I do not agree with that because it, it, it clearly gets onto the fact that, that there are some people who were, um, who were half human, half angel. And the reason why, if you go down to verse four, it said the Nephilim were on the earth those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of human and had children with them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. So the Nephilim, the Nephilim were, you get into a whole different type of, you, you challenge like salvation and humans being made in God's image. When you start trying to say it's the Sethite view and somehow these other people weren't the sons of God. No, it's just it's tracing a genealogy. That's all the whole point of mentioning Seth. And then also the Nephilim, it talks about them being uh, men of old. They were heroes of old, men of renown. And this really kind of makes sense when you get into like some of these old mythologies because they said that they were they were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. So when you hear these stories of like these heroes or these like uh, what they call the people like that have have God, half human. A lot of the stuff that people, the ancients write about, I do not think these people were crazy. I thought, I think that they actually saw demonic entities and saw supernatural things. And I, and, and I firmly believe, uh, I forget the word they use for like Hercules or whatever. I mean, because the scripture said these were the heroes of old oh, men of renown. They call them Nephilim because they were a result of the sons of God going with the daughters of men. So they were a result of angels co-mingling with humans. 
Because if you read in um, Jude, it talks about some angels that did something real horrible. Because there's, as we know, that there's judgment on Satan and his, his the, the angels that followed him. But there are some angels who are already in punishment right now for something really horrible they did. And I can't remember off the top of my head or I, if, it, if I saw directly in scripture that this is why or someone else said it was why. But some speculate that those are the angels who went into women. Um, anyway. So Genesis 6 goes on that humans were depraved. We see through 5 through 8, it talks about humans were just depraved. They were violent. They were on, they, they had every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was on evil all the time. Like people just constantly on evil. Now, I really want to point this out is that it says that the Lord regretted that he made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. This is something we call anthropomorphism. So really, oftentimes we give human qualities excuse me, to non-humans to help us understand. So God didn't literally regret, like, I wish I wouldn't have done that in the sense that humans did. He was just really upset. Now, I wish I knew the Hebrew word that was used there. I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, but God simply just was upset and disappointed in mankind. It's not that he was caught off guard. It's not that he was like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have given him free will. That's not what we're saying. Okay, God doesn't have a literal heart. Again, these types of things are just anthropomorphism to just help us understand God's perspective as human beings were just being debased and wicked. And as we see that God is going to wash the earth of all this, these wicked things, and <laughs> he's going to just establish a new covenant with Noah and his family and the creatures after that. Um, and we see in verse 18, um, we see in verse 18 um, that God's going to establish the the uh, the covenant a covenant with Noah. So Genesis 7 is the account of the flood. Genesis 7 is the account of the flood. I'm kind of going to skip over that in the essence of time, but it just gets into the flood lasting for 40 days and whatnot. Immediately after, we're going to jump right into uh, uh, Genesis 8, which gets into God's promise. And it gets into God and the earth drying up and all these different things and his commandments to man to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, and God is he's explaining his new covenant with Noah and he's letting him know that never again will he flood the earth and destroy all the things on it. And then in his covenant with Noah, which I found very interesting, I found very interesting God's covenant with Noah that he's telling him uh, in verse four, not to eat meat that has light blood in it. And because and he said, I'm going to read this really quickly. He said, but sure, you must not eat meat that has lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, from every animal and from each human being. Two, I would demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So God is saying that human life is valuable. You cannot kill people. Whomever sheds human blood by human by humans shall be shall their blood be shed for the image of God has God made mankind. So that gets into us killing people. And it gets like this makes you think of abortion. God is telling you, you cannot shed human blood. The child in utero does not lose any bit of their humanity. They are still humans. And you have people justifying abortion without restrictions until birth. God said you cannot kill people. He, there will be a count of every life, every life. And even we're not supposed to just kill animals for fun. It's one thing for me to eat an animal. For let me just go torture animals for sport. That is morally wrong. You don't just abuse animals. Anyway, 
Anyway, also what's really interesting is when we get into the rainbow, I think this is really important. So he said, God is telling us that he is making a covenant. The rainbow is a sign of a covenant between God and humans and animals. It even talks about that. It says, and God said, this sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. Now, I think this is really important because now we see the rainbow being used as a sign to celebrate homosexuality. And I find it to be extremely disrespectful that this rainbow that God God has made to as a covenant between humans and animals that he will never flood the earth ever again as a punishment for our sinfulness is being used to celebrate sin and rebellion. The whole point of the movement is to celebrate rebellion against God's design for the human family. So this covenant, this symbol of a covenant between God and every living creature on planet earth is being used as a symbol of rebellion. Folks, that is blasphemy. That is blasphemy. It is. So then we get into... Um, the, the sons of Noah. And also, I really want to get in verse 24, the curse of Canaan, because one oftentimes this has been used to justify racism towards black people saying that God cursed Ham. God did not, I mean, a Noah cursed Ham. Noah did not curse Ham. He cursed Canaan, which is a descendant of Ham. Because if you read in verse 24, when Noah awoke from the wine, because Ham had humiliated Noah because Noah had got drunk and passed out naked, awoke from his wine and found out that his youngest son had done to him. He said, curse be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will be he will he be to his brothers as we see canaan not ham and you can say well why that's another subject in itself but i'm just making it clear that has been used to justify racism towards black people and even in islam even in islam there is a justification towards enslavement because if you guys want to learn about the trans-saharan slave trade these are justify that citing the curse of ham there was no curse of ham it was a curse against canaan moving right along um genesis 10 gets into the different genealogies of the different nations and his sons. And I find it really interesting that, um, that I got to find the article, but there was evidence that um, there was actually gen genetic evidence that all human beings stem from three families. Remember, Ham, Shem, and Japheth were the ones who came off the ark. And I found that to be really interesting. So Genesis 10 goes through the different genealogies of his sons. When we get to Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel, I think this is really important. This is the last thing I'm going to say before I close. I got like one minute. But this gets into the origins of tribalism. So oftentimes we use the concept of race. There is no such thing as different races because when we get into the concept of races, we're denoting hierarchy. There is no hierarchy amongst people. Different skin colors are like different hair colors. So this is the origin of tribalism because there was just one human tribe. We all live together but after human beings tried to build this tower to heaven god confused the languages so then naturally people who spoke the same language would be grouped together and they would spread across the earth together so then naturally they would develop certain characteristics and certain appearances based on these group of people sharing genes and then certain genes dying off over time it's like if a hundred of you guys watching this show a bubble was placed over you and we all began to mate together over time all of our kids would look the same so that kind of flies in the face of of the whole evolutionary concept, it makes complete sense that humans scattered and over time, people began to just mate with one another and then they all began to just look the same. So it, it, it just makes complete sense. And, and this is really the origins of tribalism. And the reason why this is very important because oftentimes throughout human history, that's what people have done. My tribe, your tribe, we're fighting. We love our nation. We, we remain patriots to our nations. You guys know how I get down. Red, white, blue, 1776 all the way. But at the same time, it can never come before the kingdom of God because that is the most important kingdom. 
So therefore, it goes on to Shem and to the lineage of Abraham. So again, our fundamental, our fundamental misunderstanding of Genesis 1 through 11 has led to so many problems. And so Genesis 1 through 11 is not allegory. It is literal history. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles! Oh, 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 o